0: Well, dear congregation, I invite you again to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. And last Sunday morning, we focused on a few verses earlier. It was verse, uh, especially verse 6 or 15. We said, "With fervent desire, I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer." And we spent some time focusing, especially on the Passover meal. This Passover meal was a special meal that was instituted by God more than a 1,000 years before Christ was born. And again, a context in which the Passover was given is that we had the 10 plagues in Egypt. And with the 10th plague, it was all the firstborn of the land that were under this, this curse that they would be killed. This applied to the Egyptians, but also to the Israelites and any other nationalities in that place. Because all have sinned all deserve God's punishment, God's judgment. But the amazing thing that happened in Egypt was that God made a way of salvation, that God made a way by which those who were guilty, those who deserved to die, could escape death. Their lives could be saved. In the instructions that were given to the Israelites, they were told that they could take a one-year-old male sheep or goat And they would uh, be killed in the place of the firstborn. And if that family, if that firstborn took refuge, took shelter behind the blood, their lives would be spared. Well, the Israelites followed God's instructions. Their firstborn were spared. And Pharaoh finally allowed them to leave Egypt and to go out into the wilderness And as they were leaving, they received an incredible amount of of treasure from the Egyptians. We can read how they spoiled them. And here, too, how God in His providence uh, blessed them richly in giving them gold, silver, and other valuables. As God delivered His people, we can see several things about God. We see His justice, and that sin must be punished. We see His mercy in providing a substitute for the firstborn. We see the power of God throughout the plagues as we see how He controls nature, how He, how he sends different plagues and, and punishes them. And we see God's ability to supply His people with great blessing. Well, the Israelites were given strict instructions to commemorate the Passover each year. Why was that? Why do they have to set time aside each year to again go through this ceremony and to, to kill the Passover lamb, to, to eat this meal together? Is it not because we as people are so prone to forget things? Not just where you left your car keys or someone's birthday or anniversary. But we are so quick to forget who God is. All that God has accomplished, especially His uh, great way of salvation we need to be reminded again and again of the essentials of of who God is, of God's Word, of the Christian life, and of Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus Christ instituted, why He gave us the Lord's Supper. And Before we celebrate the Lord's Supper here today, let's spend some time reflecting on, on how Christ instituted this in His Word, especially from our text, Luke 22, verses 19 and 20, where we read, And he that is Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Our theme this morning is, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper for our Loving remembrance. We want to see this in three thoughts. First, his body represented in the bread. And then his blood represented by the cup. And then third, his call. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper for our loving remembrance. And we begin by considering his body represented by the bread. The focal point in the Passover was that lamb that lamb that had been killed, that blood that had been shed. But in the Lord's Supper, the focus is on these two elements, this bread and wine. As we begin with the bread, we see how Jesus, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them. During the Passover meal and throughout the week-long Feast of Unleavened Bread that the Israelites would celebrate, they ate bread made without yeast, similar perhaps to some of the flatbreads that we see in the stores today. And here, this evening, as they originally met to celebrate the Passover, we see how Jesus takes some of this bread, how He thanks God for it, and He praises God. He breaks it, and He passes it around. And to us, this practice of breaking and sharing may sound strange. This was normal in those days have seen it also with Jesus when he was feeding the 5,000 and the 3,000. How he, how he received that bread, how he prayed for it. Then he broke it and he shared it. We still have that practice today as we will see later at the, at the Lord's Supper. And bread in the Bible represented a staple food. Something that would sustain you. Something that nourishes you. Something that gives you energy and strength so that you could do your work, that you can do your physical activities. In Wilderness Wanderings, we can read how God fed the people with manna that was collected and baked. So we have bread in the Bible that was there, especially to to nourish you, to give you physical energy. The same is true spiritually in the Lord's Supper. We have been given this bread, pointing us to the body of Christ. This bread that's there to nourish us spiritually, to feed us, to give us strength and energy so that we can go on as we we have these different struggles and challenges and temptations. So we have here the bread. Jesus goes on to say in verse 19, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So you see how Jesus makes a direct connection here between, on one hand, this bread that he is breaking and passing out, but how he's saying, this is not just ordinary bread. Well, it is ordinary bread, but there's something more that's being represented here. This bread is there to, to point us, to represent his body. When Jesus says, this is my body... He did not mean that that bread now became His physical body. That bread remained bread. Jesus was there physically present, but He was the one who was there passing things out. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, He physically left this world, and He is physically present in heaven. Uh, We don't believe and teach that Jesus is physically present anywhere in this world. He is there in heaven with His Father But this bread that is given, it represents him. It it points us to him. As we receive and eat the bread of the Lord's Supper, we are receiving bread. Yet it's more than just ordinary bread. When we receive this bread by faith, we really are receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. We're being fed with his body. The Belgian Confession says, In the meantime, we err not when we say that what is eaten and drunk by us is the proper and natural body. But the manner of our partaking of his body is not by the mouth, but by the spirit through faith. So Jesus handed out bread in that that upper room. And today we hand out bread. And this remains bread. But with an eye of faith, with a receiving of faith. We truly receive the Lord Jesus Christ. In this verse it also says, This is my body which was given for you. If you look at 1 Corinthians 11, we have there Paul giving instruction about the Lord's Supper. uses slightly different language there. He says, This is my body which is broken for you. Here, as Jesus breaks this bread, as Jesus shares this bread, as he gives this instruction about doing this in remembrance of him, he's also symbolizing what is going to happen to him in his suffering and death. That his body would be broken. Not that, like the bread, he's going to be literally broken up into different pieces, for God's word is clear not a bone from him shall be broken. And yet, his body was broken. There was that cruel scourging when the soldiers whipped him and the skin on his back was ripped open. There was the cuts on his head as he had the, thor- the crown of thorns pressed down and as the soldiers there were mocking him and, and striking him. There were the holes in his hands and feet as there on the cross his, the nails were pounded through. And there was a spear that was plunged into his side as a, after he had already died. In death itself, there's something we could say that the body of Christ stopped functioning. It was broken. And Christ was broken. He did this for you. Those words are so important there. Jesus did not come into this world to, to simply experience life, what life would be like as a person. Jesus did not come into this world to be a good example, a role model for us to follow. He came into this world to give His body. He came so that His body would be broken, and so that sinners like us could be saved. What a demonstration this is of the love of God, of the grace and the mercy that we see of God to sinners like us. We hope to come back to those words for you at the table meditation so, so far we have his body represented by the blood, by the bread, but we also have his blood represented by the cup. We want to see that in our second thoughts, the cup. We read in verse 20, <clears throat> likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. In the Passover celebration, there were up to four different cups of diluted wine that they would drink uh, throughout the evening. And here in the passage in Luke, we see two of these cups being referred to. The first one in verse 17, we read, And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourself. But now in verse 20, we we read that he took the cup after supper. And Christians today can debate whether or not we should use wine or grape juice in communion. But as we look back and as we read about the Lord Jesus Christ celebrating a Passover, it is clear that they would have drank wine in this context. Now the Bible often warns against and condemns drunkenness. We see that throughout Scripture. This has led some Christians to say we should not drink any wine or any alcohol at all. But also as we look at God's word, we can read of how wine has rich symbolism. Positively, it is used in connection with abundance and joy and fellowship. In Psalm 104, we read of uh, how God causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine that makes glad the heart of man oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. So there we have wine as a gift from God that we may use responsibly. If you think also of, of celebrations of that wedding at Cana in Galilee, there the Lord gave wine, God, uh, He turned the water into wine, because wine was what was drank at weddings or their family occasions in times of celebration and, and fellowship together. So on one hand, we see these very positive descriptions of how wine is used in Scripture. But negatively, we also see how wine is used in Scripture and often in connection with God's judgment. One example of that is Revelation 16, where we read, And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath, We can see other passages in Scripture where where God gives His judgment to the nations and how they were to drink it like that they would drink a glass of of wine. So you have this both uh, positive symbolism and and, and symbolism of judgment. As you think of Jesus going to Gethsemane, we can read of that a bit later in this chapter, beginning at verse 42. And there Jesus he's there and He's praying to God. And He says, Father, if it is Your will... Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We know how God sent an angel, how God strengthened Jesus so that Jesus would be able to to go forward and to to take this cup. How Jesus took this cup of God's wrath and in his suffering and death, he emptied this cup to the last drop. Jesus took this, this bitter cup of judgment so that we can receive and enjoy this cup of blessing. Jesus took this cup of, of shame and suffering so that we can take these cups at the Lord's Supper, pointing us to the abundance and joy of salvation that we have in Christ. And that's this this cup that symbolizes the fellowship we have in Christ and with one another. Because Jesus was willing to to suffer the, the judgment of God against sin. But as Jesus takes this cup, he doesn't just emphasize that this is wine, but he rather connects this cup and its contents to his blood. And we think of blood and God's word. Blood represents life. We see this repeatedly throughout scripture. In one place we see that is Genesis 9. God is speaking to Noah, and God tells Noah and his family they can eat all kinds of animals, but they were not to, to eat to consume the blood because the blood represented the animal's life. You see in verse 5 also when God comes to capital punishment and, and murder, God says to Noah, Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. "...from the hand of every beast I will acquire it, and from the hand of man." And we also see in this Passover celebration in the institution of Lord's Supper, this connection between blood and life. In the Passover, the lamb was killed. The blood was collected and painted on the doorframe of the house. This blood demonstrated that the substitute had already died, that life had already been shed, and that um, there that, that there's life to be found behind that. And later on, the Passover celebrations continue to be a bloody affair. We have animals being killed. We have blood being brought to the altar. We have the eating of the lambs or the goats. But now as we have the institution of the Lord's Supper in place of the Passover, we see a significant change taking place. There will be no more blood. No more blood needs to be shed. Why is that? Why does Jesus here, instead of pointing us to blood, give us wine? This is because Jesus Christ, by going to the cross, by shedding His blood, He has perfectly accomplished that need of of blood being shed. In his one sacrifice, he has fully accomplished the requirements of God's justice. On the cross, Jesus cried out, It is finished. There's no more need for sacrifices. There's no more need for for animals to be killed, for blood to be shed. Jesus Christ has poured out his life so that sinners like us can receive life from him. Jesus does not just simply say, This cup is my blood, but he says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. And we see this language consistently if you look at the other Gospels and 1 Corinthians. Now we can ask ourselves, What does God's covenant have to do with the Lord's Supper? Well, first of all, children you might be wondering, What is a covenant? What is that, what is that referring to? Well, a covenant simply is a covenant or an agreement. Let's say a covenant is a binding relationship between parties that involves both blessings and obligations. So this binding relationship has both blessings and obligations. And we see this throughout Scripture. We can read of God entering into covenant with Noah and his descendants, with Abraham and his seed, with the Israelites at Mount Sinai, with David and his royal house, and in each of these cases, God is saying, I will be your God, you shall be my people. And In each of these covenant relationships, God is coming with blessings. God is coming with promises. God is telling them, this is what I am going to do for you. But he also says, here are my obligations. This is what is required of you. This is how I want you to live. Well, here in our passage, we see Jesus speaking of the new covenant. And again, we can see that especially in the prophets, uh, particularly Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 37. We don't have time this morning to read these passages or to study them in depth. But As you think of the context here, the Israelites had rejected God. The Israelites were living as covenant breakers. And now God comes to his prophets and he, he brings this message to this to these people that have rejected him, he says, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. If you look closely at this covenant, while it's called a new covenant, there's nothing actually new about it. It's God simply uh, repeating and, and advancing and enhancing what he has already promised, what he's already given. Reformation Heritage Study Bible writes this about this, uh, this passage It says, by his death, Jesus instituted the new covenant, which promises inner sanctification and covenantal knowledge of God based upon forgiveness of sin. One example is that with the covenant of Moses, God wrote his law on tables of stone. But in the new covenant, we have the same law being given, but now being written on our hearts on the hearts of believers. So on one hand, we can see it's the same, yet there's also progression here. Sometimes the example is given of a new car that is being built. People might say, well, here is a new car that has come out, has all these new features, these new technologies. Yet it's still a car. It's simply building on what has already been made before that. And to some degree, this is also true here. It's the same covenant, the same kind of promises, simply being advanced. One example of we could see this progression is if we compare Exodus 24 with our text. So Exodus 24 is just after the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. And here we have the people of Israel affirming the covenant. So there Moses reads the law to them, and the people respond. All that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. And we can read there how Moses takes the, the blood of bulls that had just been sacrificed, and he takes this blood and sprinkles it on the people. Now as we look at the Lord's Supper, we see that we received the cup, which is the new covenant in Christ's blood. And of how much greater value then is the blood of Christ that we receive at the Lord's Supper than the blood of oxen that was sprinkled there with the Israelites. God calls us to receive, to partake of the blood of the Son of God who became a man. God calls us to, to come and to believe in Jesus Christ, one who has suffered, one who has laid down his life, one who has shed his blood, In the place of all his people. This covenant comes with glorious promises and realities. For all who embrace Christ by faith. Are these glorious things that that God is giving. Of a new heart. A changed life. Of a reconciliation with God. Of the forgiveness of sin. The shed blood of Jesus Christ. That also we were reminded of at the Lord's Supper. It tells us that Christ has fulfilled his mission. Christ has fulfilled all that He has sent into this world to do, and that the promises in and through Christ are 100 percent sure. They are guaranteed because not only has God said it, because Christ has accomplished it. So we have the body represented by the bread, we have the blood represented by the blood. We want to see, thirdly, his call. Do this in remembrance of me. An important question we need to ask ourselves is, who is the Lord's Supper for? Who is Christ calling this morning to to come and to do this in remembrance of me? We look at Scripture, and also if we look at our confessions, which summarize what Scripture teaches, it's clear that the Lord's Supper is for believers. For those who have come by faith to Jesus Christ. To those who have been baptized. To those who have joined themselves to the church. but It's also for all kinds of believers. It's for mature believers. For those who have assurance of faith. Those who can look back and, and speak much of, that, of what God has done in and through uh, His Son and through His Word in their lives. The Lord's Supper is also for weak believers. Perhaps you can say it's especially for weak believers. The Lord's Supper form speaks of how the supper has been given for the strengthening of our faith. Isn't that what we so often need? Our faith strengthened. So often we have so many doubts, we can see so much inconsistency in our hearts and in our lives. At times we can struggle with that coldness of heart and feeling so distant from God. Isn't this particularly what we are called to come to Lord's Supper for? That there we may be reminded of what Jesus Christ has done. That there our faith might be strengthened as again we have our eyes focused on Jesus Christ. All who confess Christ as Lord and Saviour and who are not living in unrepentant sin, are invited to come and to do this in remembrance of Him. Yet this invitation is more than a simple suggestion. It's more than a a call that comes out and it's up, up to you to take it or to leave it. In our text it says, do this in remembrance of me. This is a command. Christ is commanding his people to respond, to hear this call, and to come. All believers are to obey this command unless they're somehow disqualified by living in open sin, and unrepentant sin. God will hold us accountable if we ignore this call. This is why we as other Reformed churches have this practice of a week of preparation That we have time in which to examine ourselves. We have time in which, if it's possible, to to break broken relationships. That we have time to turn from our sins, to confess our sins, and to again go to God and ask Him for forgiveness, and ask Him for strength to live for His honor and glory. Neglecting the means of grace, whether that's the preaching of God's word, whether it's prayer, worship, but also the Lord's Supper often results in times of spiritual darkness, times of backsliding away from Him. But what if we cannot come to the table? Not because perhaps you're too young and have not yet made confession of faith, but because you're still unconverted. J.C. Ryle writes, do we stay away from the Lord's Supper because we are not fit to be communicants? If we do... Let us thoroughly understand that we are not fit to die. If we are unfit for the Lord's table, we are unfit for heaven, and unprepared for the judgment day, and not ready to meet God. It's a sobering reminder, isn't it? That we cannot come to this table because we have no love for Christ, because we never bow before Christ. Because if we've never seen our sins and fled to Him for forgiveness. We're also not ready to stand before God. How important it is then that we humble ourselves before God if this is us. That we confess our sins, that we confess that we need God to change our hearts, to change our lives, to give us this desire. That we too would become, begin to love Him and need Him and trust in Him. That we would not just be fit to sit around this table that we be prepared to meet Him, to spend eternity with Him in worship. May all of us see and understand our lost state apart from Christ. As we hear His Word, as we see that broken bread, as we see that wine being poured out, may we all flee to Christ and cling to Him. As you think about attending the Lord's Supper It's not just a command to be obeyed, but also a privilege to be appreciated. Christ calls us to do this in remembrance of Him. That certainly is a big part of it, to be reminded of what Jesus Christ has done for us if we're trusting in Him. We also participate in the Lord's Supper to have communion with Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, it says, The cup of blessing which we bless... Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break. Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? It's not just to remember, but also to have this this intimate fellowship with God. One pastor writes this, There is a communion together between Christ and His people. It is the communion of the God who has not just saved a people, But who has saved his people. The one who is God to them and who calls them as his people is the God of the Supper. And there he welcomes those who are now sons and daughters of God most high into communion with himself by the Spirit. In the Lord's Supper, do we not again see how God accommodates himself to our needs, to our weaknesses? how God gives us this amazing sacrament to remind us of what Christ has done, but also to lead us to worship Him, to stand amazed at at the depth to which Christ went. That we would go there to have real fellowship with Him. Christ Himself has instituted His Lord's Supper so that we would remember that He gave His body to be broken, that He shed His blood so that we could be forgiven. Let us hear this call. Let us cherish this privilege. Let us come with faith, with love, with anticipation, and with thankfulness. As God calls us this morning to do this in remembrance of Him. Amen.